The text for the sermon this day is taken from that reading from John, specifically this verse. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What if I told you that if you've seen the Luther movie, which we actually just had a couple people watching it, but if you've ever seen the Luther movie or any dramatization of it, when Luther went and nailed the 95 theses to the door, what if I told you In reality, it was not that dramatic. In reality, it was much less dramatic than it was. That film likes to depict it it in the way we even imagine it in our minds. To understand, you've got to go back a little bit. Go back to who Luther was. Luther did not want to be a monk. He did not want to be a priest. He definitely did not want to be the man that led the change of the world. He did not want to be the great reformer that he became known as. His parents did not want him to be a monk or a priest. In fact, his father had a very good idea as to what Martin Luther was going to be. And that was a lawyer. And so he sent him to law school, spending an exuberant amounts of money. In fact, there's one book that in, back in the time of Luther, in order to go to law school, you had to purchase this single book that, was the, that cost about the equivalent of a year's wages. And so, Luther, so Luther's father bought this for him to make sure that he could have this noble profession, that he could make all this money. But all of a sudden, one day, as he was toying with the decision, he began to wonder whether or not he should go to the monastery. And one day, he's on the road, and there's this huge storm that brews up, and the lightning bolt strikes right next to him. And in the movie versions, usually you hear him say, God, save me. In reality, he said, Saint Anne, save me. Saint Anne was the patron saint of minors. His father was a minor. So he said, Saint Anne, save me and I will become a monk. And so he was spared and he went to the monastery, which angered and infuriated his father. Because in order to be a monk, you have to sell everything you own. All of your clothes, all of your Um, if you have a horse, you sell your horse. If you have food, you sell your food. You sell everything you have and give whatever you have left over to the church. That included that extremely expensive book that Luther's father paid for. He sold it. And so for that reason, Luther's father hated him. Well, I was just saying, didn't hate him, but was disappointed in Luther. And so, 
Luther went to the monastery. He became a monk. And while he's there, he's sent on a trip down to Rome. And it's when he goes to Rome that his, he begins into this fleet of despair, this mindset of despair, because he looked around at the monks and the priests, and he saw them buying anything and everything they could, spending their money on prostitutes, spending their money on all kinds of unwholesome living. And of course, he saw indulgences. He would go to this particular step where if you, you had to, you go, and if the movie does show this, where this large set of stairs, and the idea is that you're supposed to, on every step, say the Lord's Prayer. And you have to say, so you go one step, our Father who art in heaven, get all the way to the, de- the end, go to the next step, say it again, say it again. And it's a really large staircase. And the idea is that if you do this, you spring a loved one out of purgatory. So at this point, you kind of got to realize what was the situation. They were dealing with the sale of indulgences. A teaching in the Roman Catholic Church that is a consequence of their overarching theology. Now you may go to a Roman Catholic and they might say, ah, we never believe, we don't believe those things. And they might, they might not. But the Roman Catholic Church itself has not actually truly gotten rid of these teachings. They believe the way it works is that when you become baptized, at your baptism, every sin that you committed up to that point is wiped away. And it's for this reason that people in the history of the church would actually leave their baptism to the last minutes of their life. They're figuring if they're on their deathbed, they don't have that many more sins to commit. And so they'd get baptized a few minutes before they died and figured they'd be good. Well, if you did not, because the thing is, is once you were baptized, you were now at the bottom of kind of a staircase. Any of you familiar with the the famous song, Stairway to Heaven? Not a hymn, but a song. Familiar with that? It's actually based off of Roman Catholic theology, that you start at the bottom of the staircase. And every time you sin, another step is added to the staircase. And your goal in life is to participate in enough of the sacraments that, because every time you do a sacrament, so let's say you go to, you partake of the Eucharist, you go up one step, you go in for um, private confession, go up another step, become a monk, or become a, get married, you go up another step. And the hope is that by the time you have died, you will have cleared all of those steps. But the reality is most people don't. Most people are not good enough to clear all those steps. And so somewhere in, so in heaven, there is a treasure chest overflowing with the merit of the apostles, the super people, the, the superheroes of the faith. They have so much merit, so much goodness, and it's put into this treasure chest, 
And if you pay the right amount of money, that merit could be placed upon another person, cutting down their time in purgatory, or even if it's enough, it could spring them straight to heaven. That was the theology. Yes, the Roman Catholic Church still believes in purgatory. They still believe that if you do not take care of all of your sins in this lifetime, then you have to go to purgatory. And you've got to work it off. And what is purgatory like? It's suffering. It's hard. It is not a pleasant place. It's hell with an ending. That was the teaching then, and it still is the teaching. The Catholic Church will change up their language to make it look like every now and then that we're on the same page. And they say, oh, we believe you're saved by faith. But what they, believe, what they mean by the word faith is not what we mean. And they do not believe faith is enough. Faith is just where you get started. And so you imagine, so in the time of Luther, they began when the sale of indulgences was widespread, which again, there is still indulgences being sold. It still exists in Catholic theology. It's just kind of hard to find. It's kind of a teaching they kind of pushed underneath the rug and hope people would not realize it's there. But if you wanted it, you could get it. But the thing is, eventually Luther, so when he went to that, went to Rome, he realized that indulgences is a lie. There's nothing in the Bible to back it up. There's nothing to support it. There's nothing in the Bible to support even the teaching of purgatory. What he eventually realized is what the Catholic Church was trying to do was softening the, the, the core teaching. Their core teaching was that you have to be good enough to be saved. That you have to do so many things, otherwise you cannot inherit eternal life. So he looked at verses in Romans chapter 1, where it would say that, it would talk of that the righteous live by faith. In Luther's Catholic understanding, he'd read those words, and it would send terror down his spine realizing that he thought that that meant that he had to be as righteous as God. Do you realize how hard that is? I mean, think about, think about the commandments. Go all the way to the ninth and 10th commandment, the, the coveting. How many of you could go into the, a car dealership parking lot and not want one of those cars you see? And I'm not talking about like the, the really bad used car dealerships where you're worried that there's not an engine in there. I'm talking about like the legitimate ones. You see a really nice pickup. Or maybe you're a sports car person and you see that there. Or maybe it's not a car, maybe it's a tractor. You see a really good equipment that you would love to put to use. And coveting begins to come. It begins to come to our minds. Go to the Eighth Commandment, bear false witness. 
If we tell even the littlest of white lies, even in that really hard question, somebody comes to you, and I've used this before, if you, somebody comes up to you and says, do I look fat? And it's a really challenging thing because one hand, your evil, sinful heart will right away think something it shouldn't. And then, there's even the reality that even, you know, I'm, I'm not skinny, I know it, it's hard to believe, but I'm not skinny. But even this is, it's gluttony. And that leads to the question, what do we say? Do we tell the truth? We could say no comment, which is probably a good way to go, maybe. Or just don't give an answer at all. Or we give the white lie. And even that little white lie is sin. If every time, the fourth commandment, every time we disobey the government, that'd be like if you're going on the highway and you're driving 60, going to Spirit Lake, that's breaking the fourth commandment. You neglect to put on your seatbelt just because you're just going uptown and you're just, you're just going to get the, check the mail. That, of course the question is why did we drive? You could just walk, but you know, beside that. We leave the seatbelt off, that is breaking the fourth commandment. You go through it. As that hymn that we just sang, Case, I don't know if you know this, but the service that we're using is Luther's service. The hymns that we're singing, it's actually, you know, that hymn, All Glory to God Alone, that is Luther's Glory to Chelsea's. The, um, the opening hymn is based off of Luther's music. The prayer that we're going to have right after this sermon, that was written by Luther. Ever, this is completely a ger, Luther's German Mass. This is what your aunts, raise your hand if you're German, and you've always been Lutheran. If your family has been Lutheran and they came from Germany, they use this service. So, yes, it's, it's older than TLH. So, but the thing is, it's salvation unto us has come. That is the one hymn today that is not written by Luther. But it reflects the central part message of the Reformation. We are not celebrating German heritage. We're not celebrating that it's awesome to be a Lutheran. We are celebrating the truth. The discovery of the truth. Because the people in the, in the medieval times, at the time of Luther, they saw the law, and when they realized that indulgences are a lie, when they realized that um, purgatory is a lie, now they're faced with the reality that they have to keep, they're working up that ladder, not to, get to keep out of purgatory, but to keep out of hell. And they can't do it. They will, you cannot complete those steps in your lifetime. And there's the simple reality that your, your good works does not cancel sin. You cannot, you are, if you, I'm going to use an extreme example. I've used this before. If you, if, if you were to commit murder, is being a nice person going to get you, is that going to undo what you did? 
If you hit somebody, if you killed somebody while being a drunk driver, is being a good person, doing nice things, going to church, whatever, going to make it as if that person came back to life? It won't. The reality is, as that hymn begins, what God did in His law demand, and none to Him could render, caused wrath and woe on every hand for man the vile offender. Our flesh has not those pure desires the spirit of the law requires, and lost is our condition. Verse 4, From sin our flesh could not abstain. Sin held its sway unceasing. The task was useless and in vain. Our guilt was ever increasing. None can remove sin's poisoned dart or purify our guileful heart. So deep is our corruption. We are born into slavery. We are born into the slavery of sin. And that is what happened. So when Luther came to the 95 Theses, by the way, just a little thing, he didn't, it's more likely than not, that he didn't actually nail it to the door. The only evidence that he wrote, Luther never mentioned that he did that. The only person that ever said that Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the chapel door was Philip Melanchthon. But Philip Melanchthon wasn't there until a year later. Which is why many historians have come to the realization that it's a legend. He never did. Because the thing is, when he wrote that 95 Theses, it wasn't dramatic. He was just writing a document to get a bunch of other professors to start talking. Like, you know, is indulgence is the right thing? Maybe we should talk about this. In fact, a month earlier, he wrote a 97 Theses against scholasticism. And guess what? Nobody cared. Nobody wrote, there wasn't a single peep made about his 97 Theses. But 95 Theses he wrote against indulgences, and the reason it made everybody mad was because just at that time, the Pope was running his capital campaign fund to build St. Peter's Basilica. The reason was that he spoke against their wallet. And when it becomes money, they became angry. And it's within that time, though, Luther did not know the gospel. It wasn't until a year, little about a few months later, he looked back at that phrase, the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith, that he understood what it truly meant. And he recognized the truth, and it was as if the shackles got broken free. And when he realized that the shackles of the church broke free, what it means that the righteous shall live by faith is that the righteousness of God is given to you by faith. In faith, you receive His righteousness. It is not about what you have done or what you have to do. It's about what Christ did on the cross. That's why we process in with the crucifix. You look on that, that is the heart of our theology. 
the heart of what it means to be a Christian is that that meant that death is conquered, our sin. We don't have to run up that ladder. It's basically like God just threw out a fishing line and we grabbed a hold of the hook and he just pulled us right up to the top. We don't have to go any of those steps. He took care of it for us. He carried all of our sin to the very top. Destroyed it. Killed it. And for it we live in victory because of what He has done. That was the radical message of the gospel. That is what it is today. And that's why it's such a blessed hope. There's this quote from the Luther movie. He says... If we truly believe that Christ is our Savior, then we have a God of love. And to see God in faith is to look upon His friendly heart. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit it, that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. By the cross you are set free. By the truth of the gospel you are set free. It's a blessed message. Luther had no idea what would happen. He just wrote, it's basically like writing an essay for your teacher when you're in high school or college or whatever. But it ignited and changed hearts. Millions of people to this day are moved by that same gospel, that same truth. You have that truth. You've received that gospel. You are in this world to proclaim the same truth. Because the truth sets people free. May we be the agents of that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat>